This is the Education Gadfly Show. Well, of course, it was Californian. What do you expect uh, from from the loony left edge of the country? What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. <laughs> and now, please join me in welcoming our special guest for this week, the original Education Gadfly, Checker Finn. How are you? That would be me. That would be you, who is our distinguished senior fellow and president emeritus at the Thomas B. Fordham Very Institute. Yes. Very distinguished. And yes, uh, you know, I used to always say our website online at edexcellence.net, which harkens back to the Educational Excellence Network that Checker and Diane Rabbit started in the early 1980s yes. before A Nation at Risk. Well, we kept that website uh, URL for a long time, but we finally decided to ditch it. That was a great decade. Uh, it was <laughs> you know, back then. Yeah, no, nothing, gold, nothing gold can stay, as the old saying has it. All right. Well, speaking of which, uh, nothing gold can stay. Checker, you used to be golden on so many things, but we're going to talk about a new article you have out with our friend Rick Hess about social emotional learning, which only proves that you're going soft. You get old, you get grandchildren, you get nice, <laughs> you get kind of easy. I am not soft, and neither is Rick. Uh, this is a brand new paper. It's a, it's a, it's a substantial one. It's out uh, today, um, and uh, it's a uh, careful discussion of what social-emotional learning needs to do going forward to avoid going soft and to avoid just being a flash in the pan, a fad. All right, well, let's talk about it in Ed Reform Update. All right, Shiker. So, so here's I've already the started. Go yeah. ahead. All right. So, the paper that you and Rick should have written is that social emotional learning, this whole big new focus on this, is mostly idiotic, a big uh, distraction from the real work at hand, which is, you know, still actually teaching kids to read and do math and learn history and geography and science and those things that we still haven't mastered, uh, that it's going to be simply a return to the self-esteem movement. Uh, and that, you know, the, the reason that is partly idiotic is because, of course, schools are supposed to teach social and emotional learning. They've been doing it since the dawn of time uh, and continue to do it even in the no child left behind years. Kids were still doing extracurricular activities and learning these important skills. Uh, little kids were still being taught to play nice uh, on, on the playing fields and being taught these skills. It's a huge distraction from the work at hand. Why didn't you write that paper checker? It's not a huge distraction. If there's a risk of it becoming a diversion, and that is actually what a lot of the paper is about, is cautioning the world to not let it turn into an alternative to academic learning and yeah. indeed to infuse it into academic learning, which in fairness, the Big Aspen Commission report tries to do mm -hmm. uh, and we think does a decent job of combining them, linking them. There's a lot of foolishness going on in the social-emotional learning realm, however, that um, does risk going squishy, going back to self-esteem, uh, and losing the academic focus. And, we're and, and let's keep in mind, you know, the self-esteem thing was real in the 80s. And you look back, and you look at the NAEP scores, and you say, well, how is it there was this big focus on the nation at risk and the excellence movement, but at the same time, there was the self-esteem movement pushing Well, of course, direction. it was Californian. What do you expect yes. uh, oh, yeah. from from the loony left edge of the country? All right. So, <laughs> let, so let's just, uh, you know, assume... You are going soft, Trekker. Yeah, there it was. <laughs> so you had to throw that in there. All right. So, so so, uh, but, but, but talk to me about, uh, so, all right. So I've, I've expressed my concerns with this. I think you have. All right. What, what are the upsides as you see them? 
part of it is to remind ourselves that, as you implied, this is not brand new. This is a whole child um, uh, revived idea. And good schools have indeed been doing it uh, and pretty steadily and pretty steadfastly. But the uh, press to just raise scores has uh, discomfited a lot of schools and teachers and principals uh, into drill and kill test prep stuff. And they have been, we think, or at least the SEL people think, and I believe it's a reasonable concern, um, downplaying or neglecting the whole child side of learning. And the SEL folks believe, with a lot of other people who are in favor of things like 21st century skills, or if you want to call them first century skills, uh, that kids also need to know how to behave and conduct themselves and deal with other kids and um, deal with situations that they find themselves in. All right. So, so right. So the argument is this is it is and needs to be a part of education uh, and has always been, but maybe we're not great at it. Again, I, I, my own view of the evidence is we're probably better at teaching this stuff via extracurriculars and other things than we are at teaching the academics. But okay, let's assume that it's important. But some of the specifics people talk about, grit and perseverance, and you know, there's been a question now about whether these things, Russ Whitehurst has a, had a great piece in Education Next uh, a week or two ago saying, look, these, are, these personality traits are hugely uh, inherited uh, and there's not much evidence that schools can do much to change that. Well, that's true of everything. <laughs> um, the uh, that, But the personality traits like grit, the character traits like honesty or integrity, uh, the civic traits uh, like uh, law-abidingness and uh, responsibility, uh, these are all things that we would like schools to do as much as they possibly can to infuse into kids or to reinforce in kids along with reading and math scores. One of the points Rick and I hit real hard is that um, uh, character, civics, uh, and uh, self-discipline are important elements that if the SEL folks leave them out, their movement risks becoming regarded as more loony left and pr- prove transitory. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's right. That the left feels more comfortable maybe talking about social and emotional learning and the right feels more comfortable using words like character and exactly. patriotism and, and, and self-discipline. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, if they want this thing to stick around, uh, they're going to have to strike a balance that is respectful of the call it character, civics, and self-discipline side of things and not what some just call the happiness side of things. David looks like he would like to find some common ground here. Is that right? That's usually my my move, Mike. I, yeah, I, look, call me crazy. I, I think uh, I, I agree with a lot of what Checker said. Actually, I, I agree with everything that Checker said. I'll be I'm honest. I'm not surprised. And, and, and I, agree, I, I it was frustrating to me to read the entire brief and, and, and feel I really have n- nowhere that I can offer pushback. I mean, let me just say this. I, I, I There's an important distinction between... Um, incorporating socio-emotional learning into practice and incorporating it into policy, right? Um, and, you know, I, to your point, Checker, I, I, my impression was that all teachers were already trying to do this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot walk in. It's, it's part of being a good person, right? Yeah. You're, if you're a teacher and you're a good person, you try to pass on to your, you know, wards or whatever you want to call them, right? That <laughs> uh, Something else. Charges. Yeah, sure. Students. Pupils. Thank you. Thank you. That's a much better word. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's just implicit, right? Or it's explicit, but it just it just happens, right? You cheated on the test. I'm sorry. You know, you get an F, right? To appeal to the conservative side or alternatively, you know, 
you said something mean to, to- mean to Tommy. Mm-hmm. You need to apologize to appeal to the squishy liberal coast that I come from. Uh, and and I don't know that that needs to be ingrained in policy mm-hmm. uh, in order to happen. My assumption is it's happening everywhere. What I wish that our side would do is be a little more proactive um, about taking some of the moral high ground here when it comes to overtesting, right? Because I think there is there is a problem, right? I think there is a problem. I am I'm in the camp that believes uh, that there's a legitimate problem, but the correct response to it is not to the shortest distance between two points isn't a straight line, right? You can incentivize a broader approach to education without um, you know sort of having asking surveys about, like, you know, was your approach to education broad? You can focus on long-term outcomes. Um, you can, you, getting the incentives right is what I'm trying to put, say, is more important than how we talk about these things. Okay. That was a lot. <laughs> I don't feel it as pushback, however. Yeah, okay. And I don't, yeah. I don't disagree with what you said. Uh, the policy part is still a little nebulous. The practice part is pretty evident and pretty clear, pretty straightforward even. Uh, and the risk of the squishy side of practice uh, displacing the academic side of practice, it's a real risk. Uh, it's a real risk. Uh, and that's, I'd say, the most important reason we wrote the paper. You know, look, he, he, let, let me put an idea out there that if we really wanted to go after this in a big way, and put some money behind it. You know, what about getting the left and right together around some idea like an enrichment savings account where it's, it's basically education savings account, but not for the core, you know, school day and for tuition and things like that, but for things that happen after school and on the weekends and during the summer. You know, that this is when especially affluent kids, you know, the kids in Bethesda, you know, my kids and their friends, and this is when they get this enormous advantage of all the stuff that they're doing outside of school, uh, you know, that's explicitly focusing on these exact skills. Uh, and that, you know, could we imagine getting some, uh, you know, s- some real commitment to spend some real money on low-income kids, working-class kids, so that they can have these experiences outside of school Wasn't there once well. upon a time a Ted Kennedy-sponsored federal program to pay for after-school stuff well, for there's, kids? Well, there's 21st Century Learning Centers, yes. which is still hanging around, yes. which is, you know, after-school programs at schools, you know, money going to school districts. I'm talking about something different, you know, more of a choice version of this, a voucher that basically... <laughs> summer camp voucher. A summer camp voucher. Yeah, absolutely. And an after-school voucher and a weekend voucher. That you can use at the local soccer league, or that you can use, and that you know, to do stuff on Boy Scouts and et cetera, et cetera. That you know, that this is where the big gap is. I mean, we know from a lot of the research that schools have done a lot to close various gaps between poor kids uh, and rich kids, at least outside of high school, um, but at the lower levels. But is all that stuff that happens outside of school where the g- gaps are big and getting bigger? I don't know. I just think this would be. And it would send the message that these are important skills and we value them and we want to pay for them. But uh, there are institutions that are not schools uh, that are in charge of, of providing, of, of working on them. I'm fine with that idea. It's probably a ways off for government, but you might ask some of the large funders that are currently pumping money. I mean, something like 20 foundations paid for the Commission on Social Emotional Learning. Uh, some of them could pay for a version, at least a pilot version of what you just said. I'd co-sign on it too, Mike. I mean, I think the broader point that you are sort of brushing up against though, right, is that these things are just so much, I mean, they don't necessarily have to happen in math class and they shouldn't, right? I mean, as I was thinking, reading the piece, I was thinking, I found myself thinking about sports, right? Basketball teams, winning and losing, you know, playing by the rules. Which we do pretty well. Right. And, and, I mean, that, those are some of my strongest experiences, self-management, self-control when the ref makes an unfair call. Yes. Like, it, 
you know, checker going to outward bound I, with, uh, you know, some other with juvenile delinquents back in the day. My right? tenmate was an auto thief. <laughs> so, you know, Dave's looking. You haven't heard that story? I have David? not heard that story. Oh, it's a good one. But anyways, yes. All right. Well, we have some agreement. But yes, let's let math class be mostly about math class. And of course, if there's a kid sitting there who's upset about something or who's feeling, you know, has had some social and emotional issues that need addressing for them to learn math, okay. But, you know, instead of saying to the math teacher that your job is not only to help them get be proficient in math, uh, but to meet this other social emotional skill, we want the, you to teach leadership skills in math class. Uh, that That's where things start. I agree. Awry. That gets begins to get in the way of academics. As long as we keep in mind that a, that a kid who was traumatized for some reason isn't yeah. going to learn much math in math class either. All right. Fair enough. Okay. Thank you, Checker. Hope you'll come back again sometime soon. Ask me back. I come when I ask, All but right. not otherwise. <laughs> now it's time for everyone's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. We just had a nice chat with Checker. You know, it's kind of funny, right, that Checker Finn and Rick Hess weighing in on uh, social and emotional, emotional skills. Is this, is this fine? Struck, struck anybody else as a little bit funny? Ironic. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Darkly funny. Yeah. Darkly. No, you. they both uh, have mellowed and, you know, have, have. improved. It, they they are examples of people who can improve their own right. social and emotional Skills. intelligence over time. <laughs> Don't you think? I am not going to respond to that. Uh, uh, love oh, that. Man, I love it. How come the banter is not about Virginia okay, winning? Come on. Hello, on. Virginia won the championship game last night. It may never happen again in my entire lifetime, but man, was it a game. Uh, come on. I got four Andrew. hours of sleep. I stayed up and watched uh. like every interview, every trophy, <laughs> everything I could possibly, and then I had to get up at five o'clock. But anyway, I, I told David, I'm like euphoric. I'm, yeah. I'm not even sleepy. You know, it's just such a great day. <laughs> That's great. Congratulations. It's yeah. great. I'm very happy for you. And, uh, you know, Virginia had tough, tough season last year. Ooh, Charlottesville's been through a lot. So, hey, that's great. I, I, I will say, you know, I was going to, would have won the Fordham office pool if Virginia had lost. Yeah, really? So, well, yeah, but, was. you know, but then, you know, but in, in the end, it's okay because then I would have had to decide as like the boss what to do with the $75. <laughs> would it be appropriate to go buy a pair of shoes like Amber did? <laughs> or I probably would have felt bad about that. Would have just, you know, taken everybody oh, oh, out great. Drink, like drink you, you have more social emotional uh, <laughs> skills than I do or something like that. I don't know. I, I, well, I, I have no comment. <laughs> All right. What you got for us, Amber? Uh, we have a new report by Rand. Got another principal study this week. Had one last week. Had one this week. It's just mm-hmm. principal prep season. Uh, it's in six large districts. They looked at this $85 million. Wow. wow. Walton funded six-year pipeline Wallace. initiative. Wallace. Sorry, Wallace. Sorry, Wallace. That's what I have on my page, too. Uh, in six uh, districts, Charlotte-Mecklenburg, uh, Denver, Gwinnett County, Hillsborough County, New York City, Prince George's. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, four components to the program, mastery of leader standards, um, that they were supposed to, you know, there's some leader standards you have to know. Two, pre-service prep for assistant principals and principals. Three, selective hiring and placements. Sort of sounds like the one from last week had some of the same components. And number four, on-the-job induction, evaluation, and support. So 
all along the pipeline. They're getting supports and mm-hmm. whatnot. Uh, they gather, gather district data on principals, schools, and students, as well as survey data and some expenditure data. They used a match difference in difference regression approach, which means they compared changes in outcomes in the PPI, that's Principal Pipeline Initiative, district schools, with changes in outcomes in similar schools located in non-PPI districts in the same state. Mm-hmm. The baseline year was 2010-11, and the PPI effect basically is the degree to which the changes in the outcome relative to that year differed between schools and the PPI districts, which are the treated schools, and the similar schools in the rest of the state, which are the comparison schools. Oof. Oof. You got all that. See how fast I did that? But That's you got amazing. it. Uh, and they focus on schools that received a newly placed principal in 2012-13 or after. Okay. Five key findings. Number one, schools that got new principals in 2011-12 as part of the PPI outperformed other schools in their states that were not in the program by 6.22 percentile points in reading and 2.87 percentile points in math three years after the new leader was hired. So three years, okay? Mm -hmm. Effects were more robust in elementary and middle schools, but there was also some evidence of positive effects for high schools. That's amazing. Wow, finally. Number two, new principals in the PPI districts were 5.8 percentage points more likely to stay in their schools for two years than principals in non-participating districts and 7.8 percentage points more likely to remain in their school for at least three years compared to the newly placed principals in the comparison schools. Analysts found, this is number three, analysts found some of the strongest impacts in schools that were among the lowest performing in the pipeline districts. Number four, while new principals in the initiative posted the most growth, other school leaders in the PPI districts also saw gains. So, I don't know, but they did. Number five, uh, PPI districts spent about $42 per year per student on the activities during the initiative, which is, I guess, compared to other initiatives that they discussed in the paper, fairly reasonable because they talked about some other types of things they did. Um, And then I read a little bit of Ed Week commentary because I was just interested it was covered when it came out. Um, And they were talking about this conventional wisdom that newly minted principals shouldn't lead struggling schools. Mm. Um, But, you know, I mean, it doesn't really seem like that's what we're talking about here, right? Because they were, from the get-go, they had all of these supports. They were selectively recruited Mm. um, and so on and so forth. But it just didn't seem like it was just like you're just Mm. throwing them in there, right? So it was Mm. a little bit different. No, and I mean, I got, look, I, I mean, I think that's a reasonable point i mean that maybe that you would like to avoid that it does make it harder to study study that's right, right. yeah uh the only thing i wanted to say was that um i didn't want to be debbie downer but there's some limitations right um the districts were selected in part because they'd already implemented some of the activities mm-hmm. because they don't want to go into some district that mm-hmm. says no no you know incentive yeah, I mean, no these, desire these to do this pretty well respected district that's right uh plus some of the uh impacts could have been due to concurrent initiatives uh, but <laughs> okay. they uh, they couldn't get a real handle on it. Although they, th- they don't think there were any concurrent yeah. initiatives. But. Well, but it does sound, I mean, your finding number four, four right, right, was saying that they're, you know, that the, basically implying that the district as a whole was doing better than some of these other districts, districts. in the study. So, right. yeah. The, so, you know, some of this was the impact of the principal initiative. Some of it might have been other stuff the district was doing and not other yeah. concurrent initiatives. This was in the 2010s. <laughs> Hello, Common Core, <laughs> teacher evaluation. I mean, there was a lot going on, going on, right? In a lot of these places, I think. So, <sighs> you know, but but point being that supporting principals mm-hmm. uh, and developing them so that they can help implement all that stuff well would make a difference. Would make a difference. Here, here's think. my question for both of you, right? I mean, if we think that uh, leadership training is important and, uh, you know, that ideally 
principles would be sort of pipelined and mm-hmm. supported, right? Um, that seems like something that either has to happen at the district level mm-hmm. or at like a network level, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I guess mm-hmm. my question is... what is there a policy play? Well, just, I mean, we spend a lot of time, or, or some of us do, Checker has, you know, sort of destroying the idea of a school district, right? But it seems like certain things it does require... I don't know, a certain amount. Yeah, infrastructure, economies of scale, call it what you want, right? Leadership training is one of those things. Uh, What's the long-term solution here? Is it something like new leaders? I mean, is it just something like a restructured district? Yeah. Is it charter networks? Who should do this? These are big districts in in this study, right? Mm -hmm. And in most places, districts are a couple thousand kids and you couldn't... They would need to team up with other districts, right? And have, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the, the county district or the whatever the intermediate, um, you know, education service center or something that, right. that could get some scale at something like mm-hmm. this and, and to work on it. I mean, it seems like it's just common sense. Like, of right. course we should develop leaders. Like, right. like well, I mean, this right. is in my category of like, why aren't, like, right. how can somebody out right. there, like some superintendent, feel okay getting up in the morning if they don't have an actual, right. uh, you know, of effort to develop and leaders? And how good of a job can an ed school do, right? Um, yeah, right. If you're, that's your, if you're just going to rely on some teacher deciding to go to the ed school to get their master's right. in administration. Right. And, and that's your strategy. That's, that's right. It. And they do that, right? But, it, yeah. you know, I don't think it's been proven that much more effective than yeah. the teacher edu- prep so, you know, in ed school. Wallace does not get a lot of the, the same kind of attention that you get that the, the Gateses and the Waltons mm-hmm. and some of the others get, but they have been at it on leadership for a long time. For a long, long time. time. And it kind of looks like if, if you were going to compare this to the outcomes of the curriculum studies raised mm-hmm. lately or some of the mm-hmm. um, Met studies. It's not that, a bad bet. Right? You'd right. say, wow, they, they, you know, maybe they that this bet on leadership was a better bet than, mm-hmm. you know, what Gates put on teacher valuations or. I don't know. I, now, I would put my reading of the choice literature would say that Walton's bet on choice and charters has been quite good and, and mm-hmm. made sense. But mm-hmm. uh, look, this this is and eighty five million. We think that that's I don't know. I, I don't know what I don't know how to put these things in perspective. Well, they right? said when it's they say money, forty bucks yeah. a kid, forty two yeah, per kid. I mean, yeah. there is something. Look, it, it is you know when you're dealing with a principal who's responsible for five hundred or a thousand mm-hmm. or two thousand kids, then yeah, I mean, it, you you do get some benefit of. Uh, some bang for the buck there that you don't get if you're trying to t- fix three or four million teachers. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. ROI is important, but I don't know good ROI when I see it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, Hey, good for Wallace. Good for yes. uh, them, including this rigorous evaluation as a part of their yes, strategy. Indeed. Very good. I kind of wish, you know, we we've done some work over the years, David on, on leadership. Some of that was before even you came here and on pipeline stuff. Kind of wish we had gotten some mention in there, but no, well, like, right. beggars can't be choosers. I know, I know. And we, we have a hard time funding leadership stuff. I feel like Wallace is, is, is good, but we need more. We need more That's other funders who are interested in leadership. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? Okay, guys. <laughs> is it wrong to just bring it is back it to wrong? us? In our I mean, no, come on. Hello. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll stop. That concludes we'll today's stop. infomercial. We'll stop right there. And we can talk, Yay. we can end it with Virginia won the championship. Yeah. Woo! Virginia. Virginia. Alright, that's all the time we got for this week. Till next week. I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.